Hey, welcome to True Alignment. I'm Edgar Papke. I'm Ken Sagendorf. We're live today in the Gronowski Innovation Incubator in the Anderson College of Business and Computing at Regis University in Denver, Colorado. And thank you for joining us. All questions, thoughts, comments as we have a conversation about alignment. No boundaries to this conversation where alignment is everywhere. And your questions, thoughts, comments are more than welcome at info at truealignment.com. Once again, that's info truealignment.com. And as always, uh, all questions, thoughts, comments are welcome. So feel free to reach out to us and we will get back to you as quickly and timely as we can. So I didn't have any trouble with the breath today because I, I hiked on the Continental Divide Trail yesterday. Oh, you did? 12,000 feet. It was that's good. It? That's, that's as far as you walked? No. <laughs> it was up there. It was yeah. up there. No, that's, that's some altitude. That's some altitude. It, that always amazes me that, um, that people, will, uh, people will arrive here in Colorado and first be taken by a little bit of the altitude. Like, ooh, I feel a little lethargic and it's a little difficult breathing. And then they head out to the mountains and uh, like they go up to Rocky Mountain National Park, nine, ten thousand 10,000 feet, 13,000. And it's kind of like, whoa, even if they're just driving a car, I yeah. mean, you feel it. Well, I know, uh, you know, we've lived here for a long, long time. 17 years we've been in Colorado. And 14,000 feet makes me have severe tunnel vision. So it doesn't matter if I hike or if I drive to the top of Pikes Peak. Yeah. Like as soon as I get out, my vision field goes narrower yeah. and narrower. I can't do 14 for some reason. That is a weird, weird thing with my body. Can't, That's an interesting phenomenon. Can't adjust it. And I don't know what to do about it. But we stay with my brother and sister-in-law in their house up in Summit County this weekend. And they, they ran it out once in a while and they said they have people that come in and they go directly from like Dallas to 10,000 feet yeah. and, and they would rent the house for the whole week and they get two days altitude sickness and they go home. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that happening. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad you're okay. Yeah. I was just thinking about that tunnel vision piece because one of the things that I, uh, every once in a while when just feeling a little bit out of it, I realized that I'm not paying attention peripherally everything around me so i wonder if it's just a matter of you know you gotta you gotta get tight in your focus get focus and so it feels like a tunnel vision effect so know. let's see if i can segue this appropriately so yeah. today Edgar, we have a guest we're talking about alignment aren't <laughs> we're, we? we are we're always talking about all of things alignment today we have a guest uh mr javier tafoya um he's the founder of axiom wealth alliance um but here's, here's how I'm going to relate it to the conversation, Javier, that, that we just had. So um, this idea of narrow focus, broad focus. So Javier, uh, I know him uh, through my work at Regis because he's an alum, and that's how we originally connected. Um, and he works in the financial services field. Um, but, but I've kind of been privileged uh, to have Javier extend my field of vision because I've never met anybody that is as good a networker as you are, Javier. Seriously, I mean, you're just... Uh, you're so welcoming of other people and, and not only welcoming, but you're also, you're, you're one to introduce people to one another. So welcome to the true alignment podcast, Javier. Good to have you. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity to be here and just talk about some of the alignment work you guys are doing. And, you know, that's a great intro. I, I really do cherish the opportunity to connect people. I think it's, it's, uh, Life is good when you're able to be around people that are genuine and interesting. And, you know, I think it, 
the different perspectives add a lot of value. So when you think about yourself at, at, at the core and you think about the idea of purpose then, um, how does that, how does connecting people, the idea of networking, uh, building those kinds of relationships, so what's the core motivation for you to, to do that? I think a lot of the motivation comes from having a tribe, right? Like you, you have your people and life is a lot more fun when you're doing stuff that you enjoy with other people and Mm -hmm. you get to be around good people that that you want to see be successful and they want to see you be successful. And I think that's kind of where the, the synergy and the capacity to introduce people and, the purpose for, for making those connections exist. Mm-hmm. Javier, how did you get here? Give us a little bit of the Javier Tafoya uh, origin story. Yeah, uh, yeah. originally from Denver. Originally, originally from, from Denver. Denver. Yep, native. Um, so the how I got here is kind of interesting. Uh, my mom's family is from Montana, and my dad's from San Luis Potosi, Mexico. And my mom and dad met 41-plus years ago, in Denver and um, that founded my existence. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for, yeah. Appreciate it. All right. So we have the real origin story. (laughs) But uh, as far as uh, from a career standpoint, I, I, the reason why I always tell that is it gives you some insight into how I grew up. So I grew up between, Montana on a ranch learning how to fly fish and hunt and uh-huh. all things farming and um, when my mom and dad split when I was really young my father was in Southern California and so I would go from uh, 12 weeks or so a year up in Montana a couple of weeks in San Diego and learned how to surf and play on the beach and then school year here in Colorado where I learned how to ski and snowboard and all the outdoor activities. I'm totally envious that it, that is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and everywhere, and everywhere you, uh, in, in creating that kind of, a um, shift in environments consistently. My, my sense of you would then be that that informed you a lot in terms of building relationships and connecting and, and, uh, you know, building a, building a, a tribe around you wherever you went. A hundred percent. My, it was fun. My, my family in Montana looked at Denver as the big city. Oh, and yeah. so uh-huh. basically their envision was I lived in, you know, the four seasons and had housekeeping. <laughs> <laughs> and when I went to California, my, my cousins in California believed uh, Colorado was essentially what they saw on a Broncos game. And I skied to school and rode a horse home and, you know, I lived out in the Ponderosa. And so oh, yeah. uh, being able to talk through the, the ideas that somebody places on kind of what their, what their belief system is and how they know sure. you, uh, I think is a good, is a good intro to building those relationships and, and having, discussion yeah how awesome to be in the thrust of having um you know understanding that perception uh of others so early right even just of place and time uh of denver right i often say being from the northeast i often say most people think that we're you know always in the snow and surrounded like we live in the forest in the snow i think that's how most people that i know think of colorado and i'm like number one there's no trees there's no water and it only snows in the mountains (laughs) 
so that that misperception but you know how neat to be thrust into that um where one thinks that you're the other like that and then be able to see on both sides so so how do you so you you have all of that experience um you, you get out of high school what how do you decide what's next um so go to college um and it was funny high school i spent a lot of time uh as an athlete, student athlete, and uh, started my college career based on wanting to be a student athlete and go down to Grossmont Junior College in uh, Al Calhoun, uh, California. And really it was, I want to play football. And I found out really quick, like first practice, get concussed. And, you know, these are, <laughs> the program out there at Grossmont is basically a Division One football team. And for whatever reason, whether it's grades or size, they're D1 athletes that didn't go to D1 either because they're too small or their grades weren't good enough, but they are machines. And so uh, after playing a couple years out there, I I realized I do much better on a wave and much better in the classroom than I did on the football field. Curiosity on the football field, what position did you you play? Running back. And so, so nothing it, like thrusting your body into <laughs> 11 waiting arms. Right, exactly. <laughs> Coming at you with equal force and speed. <laughs> so um, wrap up two years there, come back, to, come back to Denver and start at Regis. And so I uh, was working full time and going to Regis and uh, had the privilege of working with uh, – faculty member that was in in finance he was a uh, former partner at Deloitte's M&A like their M&A practice and so he had this 100 tab spreadsheet that we basically worked through for two years and was that Ron yeah that was Ron Ron Newfeld yeah and so I did my my undergrad came back uh, to do my MBA with him and really I spent my first half of half of my career in banking uh, so I started out with a, a small bank um, on the portfolio side called Conseco Finance. And so in 2003, Conseco Finance went out of business. And this was like, you know, right mm-hmm. after finishing up my undergrad. And it was, what do I do next? Right? Like, I had a pretty good job, but I didn't know what to do. And I called one of my friend's fathers and uh, really was planning on just reporting to work in two weeks. And, hey, let me come work with you. He was in the mortgage banking side and said, well, while, you, while you're still young and you know everything, you should probably go start a business. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I like that while you're still young part of it, by yeah. the way. I see that's the part you laughed at. I think it's the and you and you know everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Eh? I got it all. I got mm-hmm. it all right. Well, I, you know the the good thing about being young and and a little there's confident. a lot of good things about being young. Trust me. Well, I, I think we're still pretty young. I think everybody around the table still has enough. Uh, Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett. Yeah. I'll tell you the Tony Bennett story later. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think you know we have enough time to make some mistakes and and learn from them, and that's really what my first run at business was. Was I didn't know what I didn't know, and I learned a lot because of it. 
um, we started a mortgage firm and we were able to help a ton of people and it went from me uh, to a handful of my high school and college friends that wanted to be in the mortgage space and we had a really good run and ended up being pretty successful at it. So much so we ended up selling the business to my mentor. Awesome. Yeah. That's a good thing. Well, kudos on that. And then, and then what? So you sell the mortgage business. Sell the mortgage business. So let me, let me just rewind that. You sold it to your mentor. Was it part of your, you know, looking forward into the future at that point that you were thinking of a build and sell or was it just, this is pure, pure luck. Pure luck. Like my, pure luck. I would say, gosh, a lot of my career has been luck and I don't know, hard work, like, you know, mm-hmm. you, you tend to make your own luck. You work hard, yeah. you look for opportunities and uh, capitalize on them. But um, I, I think uh, that particular instance was we, we had a really good process around how we were doing business, mm-hmm. um, but we didn't have the capital we needed to get to the next level. And he, he was the conduit to that. and It allowed us to go from being a regional mortgage brokerage that could deliver great products for people mm-hmm. here to a national uh, platform that allowed us to build something really, really special. I think uh, in in 2007, we the group ended up growing from about 50 people to the, the transition was in 2005, I sold the mortgage brokerage mm-hmm. by 2007 we went from so in 2005 50 to 50 loan officers and about 15 staff people in 2007 the height of the of the particular firm we were at a little over 500 loan officers and about 50 staff people and so yeah, it allowed us to grow mm-hmm. really really quick that's great. And and then so you, you get out of that, and that's about when you come back for your MBA. Yeah, come back for my MBA. And, um, you know, we're in the middle of the – so financial crisis, like, absolutely destroys, decimates this firm. Come back, hang out with Ron for another couple of years, and um, just kind of during that period of time, the, the founder of the mortgage company, his – family I start working with their their family group on creating more of like a private equity portfolio mm-hmm. so they send me around the country I'm still doing my my MBA like part-time I think I finished in like 14 so right as I was going into the advisory space is when I finished my MBA um, but during this time like 2008 to about 14 I'm traveling around the country and working with privately held business owners on essentially the story that happened to us. We were, we were concentrated in our product offering and we really didn't have an outlet once uh, Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns closed. Mm-hmm. And so giving that uh, visual to folks in the privately held, kind of that mid-market space, we, we worked with a ton of companies, everything from oil and gas to... Uh, lead generation companies, marketing, you know, you name it. We we worked with a few different, 
probably over the course of that period of time, about 40 different companies, helped them recapitalize or restructure their balance sheet and got a ton of relationships and a whole bunch of real world practical knowledge on, on finance. It's a, uh, you know, I think I'll speak for many of our listeners. Finance is not, it's not straight. It's not understandable. It's still a little bit of a mystery. It, it's funny. Uh, you, I, I have a. Can I just get some clarity on that? It's not straight. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, I think that, um, you know, being a professor in the business school, here's the most interesting thing. Because you can't teach people how to do business finance the way you teach them to do personal finance. Right. Okay. Right. You got to know some of the distinctions between this. You can't, um, you know, even if you were brought up in a family that would tell you that debt is bad, um, you need to carry a certain amount of debt to grow a business. And so you, you, you think about it differently. And the folks that have come to understand wealth seem to have a different set of rules that they get to play by. I agree. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And I think, you know, I watch, it's, it's funny, Javier, because I think I've shared this with you. You know, I, through the eyes of my 21 year old, she is trying to grasp the, um, the nuance of how things work and when to, when to take on debt and for what reasons. Like she's just really curious about it and I love it. And she's asking all these kinds of questions and it's so fun to watch her. and it runs up against an extreme nervousness. Like she's going to graduate from college and she doesn't know. Um, it, it's, I don't know if I shared this with you, Edgar. But, you know, a year ago she came to me and she said, Dad, can I move back home after I finish college? And I was, of, of course, right? Of course. And then she said, do I have to pay rent? And I was like, no, honey, you don't have to pay rent. You know, we'll have a different conversation about the other stuff, but, you know, we're not going to charge you rent. You know, our mortgage doesn't change if you live at home or not. So, um, but just in these last few months, she has adamantly told us she is not coming home. She wants her own space. She wants her own independence and, and things like this. She can't figure out how it's going to work, right? Because she's, she's never had a salary job. She's never had a full-time job. So she has no sense in ability to predict kind of that future. And even though I sit down with spreadsheets and we start, we try and tell her there's all these nuanced places where you're like, you got to make these decisions. Yeah. And that's where she's the most curious about, like, well, how do you make those decisions? And I think, you know, that's why finance is hard. I mean, it's why we have a financial literacy issue in the, in the U.S., right? I right. mean, we just, it is, I mean, we are really woefully behind in, in financial literacy. I think, I think the other thing about it is, you know, when, when we look at finance and accounting, I was able to start taking those classes in college and it just with the math background I had it it made a lot of sense I see a lot of students uh, with different mentorship programs that we're doing now that you know that their talent is on the literary literary side right like I I almost look at it like it's another language right you know you have mm-hmm. all of these different ways to look at and construct and deconstruct a, a financial statement and yeah you have to be uh, thoughtful well, about the, that. just like anything else it's the understanding the system understanding the frameworks that you're working in and then the terminology that goes with it and then you know be being being able to see that all and uh 
work within all those different aspects of it. I want to come back to something that I thought was uh, interesting and ask you, Javier. You can make the comment about um, knowing what kind of debt, you know, what's good debt in business. Uh, so from your perspective, Javier, any sweet spots in terms of thinking about these are great reasons to take on debt or some guidelines around that? Yeah, I think, you know, from a business standpoint, I'm fairly aggressive when it comes to most things, but I think there's a time and a place for debt. And usually it's going to be around growing your your asset, which is your business, right? I look at it from really what are you going to what are you going to use it for to create the revenue that you need to pay it back, right? Okay, so directly related then to We'll, we'll take on that to make an investment in and then knowing what the direct impact on revenue creation is. Exactly. Okay. You know, I, I think it's more of a, that's probably like more of a typical finance mind, right? Like what's the NPV on what we're about to go deploy this capital for and does it make more sense to raise equity or, or debt? And, you know, I, I think historically it's been less expensive to use debt for mm-hmm. the vehicle to finance your your revenue growth. Thanks. Yeah, I, you know that idea of net present value, future value of money, right? I mean, that's one of those that's one of those financial literacy things that I think is really missing for a lot of folks. Um, right? I mean, there's a lot of uh, TikTok videos out now. Have you seen these? Would you like a a penny compounded a day for a whole year or a million dollars up front, right? I think that's the one they do. And everybody's like, well, I want the million, right? And then they start to show them the math. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's, it, it's it's meant to be funny, but, you know, it's really kind of ironical. I, always back to the marshmallow experiment. <laughs> yeah, the marshmallow tower. Yeah. Well, Javier, um, so sorry, uh, so I pick up where your story. So you, you, you're you're traveling all around the country. And I'm meeting these business owners that are, discussing and we're discussing a lot of these same problems right do we use debt how do we recapitalize it the largest um issue that we were solving for was concentration either in your supply chain or concentration in your revenue streams right like if you have a concentration probably more more susceptible to experiencing some sort of event that could, <laughs> right. that's all I can <laughs> yeah. yeah yes an, an event that could possibly uh have a significant impact on your family situation. Like a lot of the work that I do now uh, tends to be on maintaining lifestyle when we turn off streams of revenue, right? Like when you stop working, mm-hmm. how do we how do we keep your income at the same level so we support the lifestyle that you're accustomed to? And that was really born from the work that I was doing with these business owners, uh, understanding that their largest asset was their, their business. And how do we... How do we derive enough capital from there so that if you do experience an event, you're not going to shut down your your lifestyle? So how do how do you get like um, how did you move into a, a a way more corporate job and become a regional vice president here in in this region? In this region, that, that's a great question. So my financial advisor, um, great guy, uh, he. This time when I'm traveling around, so this is like between 2000, 
uh, eight and fourteen. In two thousand nine, I had my son, so we have we have Javi, and for the first two years, traveling around is pretty fun. Like they, my wife and my son had way more fun than I did. Like we'd, <laughs> we'd be in the we'd be in a nice hotel. They'd hang out at the resort. You know, life's good. And since Javi was under two, he's lapping it, and you know, just basically sitting in the in the plane seat on top of my wife or myself, and we get there, and even like years three and four, not too bad, but gets to five and he's going into school and um, the travel becomes an issue. And so my wife's constant at every quarterly meeting, we go to my financial advisor or our financial advisor. And he's like, you should come work with me. You keep the same type of income, keep the same type of lifestyle, work the same type of problems, but you have a wider tool set instead of working, you know, on a very limited problem set you get you get to work on all of the the whole financial problem and so that became more and more intriguing and as I was uh, wrapping up my MBA and I started studying for all of the series licenses and and then uh, came on and really was mentored on the financial advising with my financial advisor that's great that's great and so so talk to me a little bit about the decision to change now to Axiom Wealth Alliance yeah. So the the decision was really in between 2014 and last year, uh, the firm that I was with um, was awesome. And the the group of people that that we had built a team around was terrific. And essentially my my role had continued to evolve from being a financial advisor into a leadership role and then a regional leadership and then multi-state leadership and, and continuing to evolve down that path. And with um, the transition, when I started at the firm, it was a public-owned subsidiary. And so it was run very much like the private companies where I cut my teeth and been able to make good business decisions and, you know, be able, be able to see kind of, okay, here's our, here's our product or what we're trying to do, and here's how – we have a client service model and all of these things. And that that meter just began to change as we went. In 2018, we rolled out into a public company. And by the end of 2020, we were into a very corporate mindset of we need to be doing this particular type of action for our shareholders. And so there's a lot of, I would say, complexity on who your master is, right? And As I say, the change in the customer, right? I mean, is a big deal. Um, yeah, there's also the, the thinking, who is really the customer? So, you know, you got to unpack that one and go back to it. Exactly. And so, you know, from my standpoint, um, I've always looked at it as it's very difficult to serve two masters, and I would much rather work for my clients than right. work for shareholders that I don't know. I just, you know, I'll share with the audience a little bit of personal experience. So, you know, doing what we do in Edgar, I'm sure this has been your experience is that, you know, we have a lot of friends in, in different businesses and then they, um, you know, I used to laugh because when I was younger, I had so many friends that decided they wanted to sell insurance for whatever reason. That was a popular job. Yeah. Right. And the, the some people just ask you point blank, 
right? Your friends, your, this is your friends and family. Which Some friends and family first. In, in the startup world, you know, I say, yeah. beware the three Fs, the yep. family, friends, and fools, right? But, you know, that's really what, what they do. And when they get in these entry-level jobs, that's the first principle they come to. You know, I think the more slick one to be like, can you, you know, because of what you do, Ken, can you give me help on my, on my presentation and my pitch? which would be great. And I'd have a good lunch and then they'd try and sell it to me. And I'd be like, Oh, you shit. Like I, <laughs> like I, right. I mean, you, 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 I have a friend, you, you, <laughs> you, you undid the trust. Right. Um, but I want to say uh, Javier was my personal financial advisor. Um, and I just want to say it was very different. I mean, cause here's how I act in my life. I, I find people and we develop a relationship and we get to the trust. And, and I just, I don't know that I've ever said this to you, but I just so appreciated it. And that was, um, you know, that's why we moved things over. Yeah. It was the development of trust. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I just want to say there's, there's something very different about the way you approach your work. So when I hear this kind of the firm, the firm moves in that way where you get, uh, I mean, uh, not to misuse the phrase, but out of alignment between what you are trying to accomplish um, and not being able to do it in that work. We always say that, you know, work is, is always human to human. And so you need to be in it and you need to know who you're in it for. Um, I've just, I've appreciated that part. I think that also that's one of the constant tensions that exists in our society is um, when you're in business is who really is the focus of your, of your business and of your work and very often, and I, I was caught by that, not wanting to serve two masters, um, because there's a tension there, and so you become that third, that third, right? You've got the you got the client, and you got a shareholder, and now it gets triangulated, right? And exactly. there's that tension there between the two, and then it becomes a matter of alignment. So it's I don't think it, you know there's there's not a whole lot you can misuse the term alignment around. And so often, as we do in just about everyday life, we do. Every day we, we wind up with those tensions where we have to make decisions about who we really are and, and not just what we're doing. It's, you know, who am I and who do I want to be and how do I show up in the work? Because at the end of the day, that's where the trust shows up. That's the real, those are the elements of trust. When you're connecting or you want to make sure that somebody's being successful and who is that, and then the simple model in business, and it's oversimplified yet, it really does boil down to it at the end of the day. You can have a great idea, you can have a great process, you can have a lot of great things that you can sell. Um, the thing is, if you don't have a customer, you got nada, you don't have a business, and therefore your shareholders are out of luck as well. So really, who are you all here and who are you all aligned around to be able to be of service to and what does that look like and what are the elements of trust in that relationship? And we're always back to that. That's yeah. That's what the that's what our business society at the end of the day is all about. Well, and Edgar, our work in true alignment, which is you know got a lane in the in the corporate side, um, but also a lane in the personal side. You know, we just heard uh, Javier you explain kind of uh, a, a couple things. One is the priorities changed, right? You talk about Javi uh, approaching school and how different travel is. Um, we saw, we saw your personal alignment move while corporate alignment was moving simultaneously. 
And, and, you know, I think when we started the podcast, this is really what we were talking about at its heart is corporate, you know, business alignment and people alignment, the people inside of businesses um, trying to figure themselves out and paying attention to it. Yeah. So, the, and, and as you grow the enterprise and having that kind of clarity is also has a lot to do with people's well-being psychologically. And we talk a lot about psychological safety and all the different aspects of it. At the end of the day, psychological safety is about how well am I aligned and how well can I just be me? And uh, what does that look like and what does that feel like? Yeah. So, uh, so I want to, uh, so the idea of what you're doing now and, and, uh, an axiom. So tell us a, a little bit more about that. Yeah, definitely. So axiom was really uh, born from a partnership between another Regis alum, a uh, good friend of mine, Todd Bauer. He, he's had a tremendous career uh, in public service. He's mm-hmm. uh, a firefighter, right? Firefighter. Mm-hmm. And it was on the, he was the chair of the FPPA, uh, the, second largest pension in Colorado and really um, put together a lot of the institutional framework to champion the firefighters and make sure that they were well provided for in retirement. Going back to the idea of let's replace that, that income that sustains your lifestyle. And so when we started working together, um, gosh, it's been about three or four years now. And he was he was uh, in the process of joining me at the other firm. We we were having the the discussion of you know we we feel like the target was moving and we wanted to be able to really be client centric, and so in launching what we have now at Axiom, uh, the the whole idea of Axiom is using math to demonstrate how we can get to that lifestyle that people are accustomed to using the resources they've built and continue to build while they're earning uh, mm-hmm. right today. And so um, essentially what we're doing with our clients is really just helping them uh, meet the goals that they, that they want to see in the future uh, through the capital markets and utilizing a broad spectrum of tools that are completely company agnostic. We don't, you know, we don't recommend one particular vehicle over another. Everything's fairly cultivated to whatever our clients' goals are. And then this this kind of growth and expansion to bring uh, other other people from around the country now, right? Not international yet, but uh, around the country. Around the country, so we have second office in Clearwater, Florida, and we're growing a, a team out of Central Florida and Los Angeles and Orange County, and so starting to really put all of those functions together around the idea of advisors that want to really be client focused and have the tools and resources to provide a tool set that will allow their clients to reach their goals. I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to be cynical, right? No, I mean, and hear me out on this one because (laughs) this is the, right. I mean, in, in your industry, Javier, this is, I think that's the part that makes my heart sad, right? I mean, because 
everybody wants to believe that their financial professional has that in mind, right? right? I mean, but I'm hearing clearly that, you know, you're the people that you're bringing on board to Axiom really are kind of saying, nope, this is, I want to make sure that this is what I'm focusing on. Exactly. Yeah. I'm curious how you find them. Or, or are they finding you? How, how is this working? It's a combination. And, and also in the back of my mind is the question of how you how you chose the markets you did. Clearwater, Central Florida, back out Orange County. But we, we can pick up on that after um, after you, we talk about how it is that you attract or they they find you. Sure, sure. So I would say most of, most of the folks that are coming on board have found me either pre-starting the firm or we've had a relationship even before I was an advisor. Okay. And so almost all of the all of the folks that have joined us um, are long-standing relationships. I think most of them probably the the youngest ones are like 5 6 years of being connected. Okay. And so it's um, it so was it's really fun. reliance on on standing relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Javier's got such a generosity of spirit. I, um, like I said, you know, he's such a good networker, but he's, you know, he's taught me so much. He is a, a true giver first, right? I mean, I think that is the, so many people are trying to build the network to get the thing that they're looking for. Right, what they want to get out of it as opposed well, to the service. I mean, you can read anything you want on networking, sure. and everybody says the first thing you ought to do is offer yourself in service. Um, but so many don't. So many don't. And Javier, you're just so good at that. Well, thank you. I think, again, it just comes natural. It's one of those things where if I didn't like the people that I was doing it with, if I didn't like the team around me, like, you know, there's, uh, you know, the idea of work-life balance has always been funny because I work a lot. Like, I work hard and I, I love the work that I do and it doesn't affect my family life because... I still have the time and flexibility to do everything that I enjoy with my family. But, I mean, I I really enjoy the work that I do. So I put a lot of effort into it. I put a lot of time into it. And I think from that perspective, being able to be connected to people that have really good ideas and question what I'm doing and why I'm doing it really uh, adds a ton of value to my work and my life in general. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot in that too. So as I'm listening to you, a couple of thoughts, one is how do you attract people to your organization, to your firm, to your business that really want to be there and you want them there. And so you think about, you know, what is, what does the employee experience look like? And so you can break that down just like a customer experience. How do we attract? How do we onboard? What is the actual experience uh, look and feel like? Uh, which, you know, becomes, it's such an important aspect of it. And then to take it a, a step further, when you think about um, the relationship that they have, not just to you and then to the customers and the clients that you're working with, how do you maintain that and how do you grow with that? Because one of the things that I think is quite frankly overlooked, when we think about design and design of a business, and this goes back to our pre, before we came on the air, this idea of you know thinking in the box, thinking outside the box, 
And one of the things I don't think we're paying enough attention to until we realize that we're at some sticking points is what service design looks like. Because we spend a lot of time designing products, products. and processes, yeah. et cetera. And we don't think about this, this service idea and how service design is really right now paramount to how it is that we conduct business. And so this idea of designing outside the box, because we were kidding around before we came on the air about, well, what's wh what's the shape of your box? What is, it really, what is your box made of, right? And you start thinking and looking and exploring at all the different possibilities, and service is the frontier. Yeah. And when we think about awareness in, in design, you know, that fifth level of design uh, beyond touch, feel, and, and process, now we're talking about a real awareness and emotional awareness of what goes into the service design arena. And I think we're just really on the edge of that and sitting on the edge of it, not really understanding it. And so now I'm going to come back to what you were talking about is, well, I've got all these people that I can bring into my organization. So what are they contributing? What does it look like and how do they contribute? Which then lends itself to the conversation of culture and the actual experience that you're creating that attracts people. And then the simplicity of that, you strip everything away and now the complexity comes to simplicity. Well, it's about the connectivity. It's about the trust and relationships. People are coming back around and reintroducing themselves into your life and into your business in a way um, that's different. So there's a shift taking place. So I, I just think that's really, really powerful to be able to just strip everything away and say, well, at the end of the day, this is what it's about. And then... I think about how you scale that. Because sooner or later, like friends and family to sell to, you <laughs> run out of friends that come and work with you. And then you got to, if you want to scale and move beyond that, what does that look like? And what are the considerations? Which is a roundabout way of saying, have you thought about that? Yeah, I think the, the benefit of being thoughtful in how you network and like the people around you, building your tribe, right? Like I can tell you for the last seven years of being in financial services, I, mm -hmm. I've never prospected. Like I don't go out and I'm not waving the banner of Axiom Wealth Alliance. My clients are my, my network of my tribe is out in the, out in there introducing me to different people that they feel like would be a good fit. And so well, it's not scientifically scalable. I, I feel very, <laughs> very confident in, well, in its here's another, I mean, Here's a whole other topic that we could take on is that our over-reliance on data versus the human side of business. We spend so much time, and, and now I'm gonna, you know, this is kind of coming full, full circle for me because early on you were talking about all the tools and learning about all the financial modeling and everything that's available, right? The, the quote-unquote the toolbox and... Um, access to all of that. And then I, I, you know, you come right back around to it. And it's like, well, despite all the data and ways that we can slice and dice this puppy at the end of the day, it's about that, you know, human to human. It's the humanity element that makes it all work. Uh, so much so that I don't even hear marketing talk coming from you. And I, and of course there is, when you simplify it, you can say, well, of course, marketing is word of mouth. Marketing is, connectivity it's about building relationships and in a way you have a built-in system here into the way that you do business quite naturally quite organically yeah i think it's it's definitely been 
it's been more fun doing it that way than any of the work that I did on the front side uh-huh. to try and create a, a brand. Like instead, I would rather my brand be that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and serve my clients to the best of my ability. And so so paramount to that then, if I gave you the choice, is it more about, is the success more about your expertise and capability and the financial management side? Or is it more um, about your ability to build a community around what you do? I think definitely 100% more about my ability to build a community and understand my clients. Because they could get what you offer anywhere, couldn't oh, they? Oh, yeah, totally. Like, yeah. I mean, that... From <laughs> <laughs> There's from the alignment piece yes. right there. Yes. No, that's exactly that. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. You, yeah. need a, you need a sound bell or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, if you track the conversation and who you are, right, at a personal level, and so what is alignment to who you are, and then how does that show up in your business? And then, of course, is an expression through your brand, and you can just see that, and then the community piece, which you've been doing through your life, moving from place to place, is building, and uh, and it's a tribe. And so you're you're building and constantly moving towards the, the tribal piece. And um, so just for anybody that's listening, there it is. You know, that alignment of the personal, the self, the sense of purpose, and then how it is that you, how did you bring that to life? And it just so happens to be that your vehicle is wealth management. Yeah. And understand what that looks like. And I also found it interesting in our conversation here today, which I, which is, I think is, is really noteworthy to point to, as that through all of this, um, it's really about you're not you you haven't been talking to us a lot about numbers. You haven't, and so even in your storyline here, it's not about the numbers. It's really about what you're doing, and who you're being, and how does that show up in your work and the success of your of your business. Yeah, I think I think to be successful in any business, you just have to be authentic. Like, and you well, really got to enjoy it. Easier, <laughs> well, it turns out that that's a lot. You know, that's your authenticity. We'd be out of business if everybody yeah. knew that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Cause, cause, uh, and we all recognize the reality of, of how authenticity it seems to be the lifelong tension that we live with. How could I really truly show up and be myself knowing farewell all the feedback that I'm going to get? You know, regardless of the bullshit of somebody telling me don't take this personal, right? <laughs> so there it is. So I think that's uh, that's a very uh, important uh, piece of it is to be able to say, well, can you have a business and not be authentic? And the answer to that question is, yeah, you probably can. The choice is yours as to whether you want to be because your authenticity with yourself and, and having that alignment becomes so critical to our well-being and how we see ourselves. 100%. Yeah, I'll connect some dots and I'll bring in uh, Javier. I do. We do the weekly movie reference. Anybody got any guesses? I know, uh, but I was worried it wasn't going to come today. I don't know. Show me the money. No, <sighs> no, no. I I think this one will, will shock you a little bit. Um, but you know, given Barbie. Javier's football <laughs> background, you know that football, the part of your story about the football background. Um, there was the conversation about the the box and what's in the box and the size of the box and the you know the the fluidity conversation and and then um, Javier, what I picked up is when you get to a sense of alignment, it allows you to ask a different set of questions. Like I think that's we see that over and over and over in the work that we do with with organizations and leaders is that if you can get them to the point where they find alignment 
you open the door for them to ask a different set of questions. The movie references McFarland USA, right? True story of, uh, anybody got any? Yeah, no, you're both shaking your head on that one. So this is a Kevin Costner. And this, are we shaking our heads? You know, circle, the, circle the dots on, uh, you know, connect the dots on this one. You, you talk about Montana. The first thing that comes to my mind come flying forward is Yellowstone. Um, but so Kevin Costner was a little bit forward, but that's a, that's a true story about a cross-country coach um, in, in the picking fields of California with people that were unseen. And so I think there's, there's something about uh, seeing, seeing people differently that, that you share in that story. But I also think because when he got to the root of what he was trying to accomplish, he couldn't do it as a football coach, but when he got to the root of what he was trying to accomplish, it, it allowed him to ask a different set of questions. And so I think there's some similarities there in, in, in that story um, with, with you and your journey. But I, again, this idea it had never dawned on me to frame it that way, that well, if you get to the place of alignment, you get allowed to ask a different set of questions. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is, I mean, you're even saying, I'm not hearing all these things I normally hear from a financial services professional, um, which is fantastic. Right. I mean, that's the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's also interesting that, um, your, your stated, um, I'm trying to recall exactly it's lifestyle sustainment. Oh, right, it's a such a different set of questions. Yeah, isn't lifestyle statement, which is a very different set of questions than how much money do you want to bank. You know, how much money do you want to bank? I suppose at some level you can come back around to, well, let's sustain that lifestyle. We need to have a strategy to maintain that income or that cash flow, as you mentioned. And what does that look like? I think the same holds true then for entrepreneurs, and the idea of, um, you know, what's the difference in the different kinds of businesses? Are you are you doing a build and sell? Are you creating a legacy or lifestyle business, what does that all look like and having some clarity around that? Yeah, it's very yeah. important just, and just coming this, back to your life balance, yeah. your lifestyle balance. Yeah. I just had this conversation with a young entrepreneur today, which was, what's the future look like? What it's, What's the dream? Build the dream for me. And I was really pleasantly surprised on what his dream was. It wasn't what I expected him to say. So when you asked him, what does becoming me mean? Yes. Uh-huh. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. And then, then you can fill in the gap about how, right? right? But I think, that, right, I mean, and that goes to the, to the toolbox and the, you know, then you can fill in the gap on the how, but until you can identify the what. So what is yours? What is, it, what is the future uh, being Javier look like? Hopefully it, it has a lot of longevity. I want to <laughs> be an old, um, I, I feel like I'm an old soul. and I want Tony Bennett plan. I want to be a really old soul when I leave this place. Um, you know, I, I think I'm, I, I feel like I'm in the prime of my career and I feel like I have a blazing torch to pass to a lot of people. How old are you? 41. 41. Prime of your career. Do you know, statistically, you're not going to reach your, your full stride until you're in your 50s. From your mouth to God's ears. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, there's, a, there's a book out now called From Strength to Strength, which he would disagree with you. One hundred percent. I don't remember the author's name. Um, I have to read it in very small. He's probably in his forties. <laughs> I have to read it in very small spurts. Well, I mean, if you're the audience listening at home, Edgar asked this inappropriate question of how old are you? Um, and well, that's not inappropriate. I don't you, quite understand you, that you, either. You you share. Please explain. You share that you consider yourself an old soul. Yeah. 
Like I don't, that is a lot of experience packed into those years. Um, seriously. Being an only child, like, I, you know, that that's probably what gives me that old soul vibe is because I've spent most of my life hanging out with adults and it, they were always doing the fun stuff. Yeah. So what is a definition of an old soul? I feel like I connect, like my wife explains it way better than I do. My wife says my best friends are in their 60s and <laughs> I'm really good at doing things that 60-year-olds are good at doing. Um, but I feel like... Uh, I feel like it's just being able to understand complex ideas and mm-hmm. break them down into things that everybody understands. There's a similarity of the guests we've had on the podcast. I, we're really fortunate. I don't know how we how we work this, um, but but Javier, I think part of being an old soul is the expansive field of vision, right? the idea that you don't see what's right in front of you only you can see these other factors coming in right i mean and whether you intentionally build the network to have the network or you just know interiorly that you're supposed to build the network right i mean i think that that's that expansiveness is when you're letting more and more of the world in and then you start to adjust and that has been a really similar thing to all the guests we've had on the podcast yeah i think uh, yeah I think there's something also about the old soul wisdom part. First of all, wisdom being an understanding of what I don't know. And then the other aspect of it is um, I, I think the old soul is is weary of bullshit and wants to cut right through it. So I think there's that part of it too. In, in old souls, we generally, I think I look to old souls as people that are just really able to just speak to the truth. Get to the truth, yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't need all the other stuff around the edges and... Let me just see what is and and then be able to come to the place of asking questions from the place of wisdom and not knowing. I think people very often mistake wisdom for, oh, you know everything, as opposed to wisdom being, yeah, I've come to realization, I don't know. I really don't know much of anything. And as long as I'm willing to be open to exploring, that's I think that's where wisdom comes from. And then you're asking the good questions. So coming back to your statement of, I don't know, I just, I'm good at able to see things and be able to break things up and, and see the different parts of things. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that's so much of it. Yeah, because one of the things, I know my experience of old souls is that when they ask you a question, well, I'll t- tell you, it hits you, hits you right, just right where it counts and makes you think and makes you realize you don't know yet. Yeah. Here we are. Right? Here true we alignment. are. True alignment. We're back to true alignment. Javier, thank you so much um, for sharing you with us and, and our listeners. Yeah, and being here with us today. Thank you. Well, thank you for the That's opportunity. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's been uh, very cathartic. Yeah, you're uh, looking at the, the website and everything. You're not what I expected, so <laughs> which is always nice because then it reminds me what did I expect anyway. Yeah. Fool, right? Yeah, it's a good thing. Well, getting into that mind space of being being open, right? Yeah. So, uh, so here's here's some things to think about, uh, if I may. Uh, one is all your questions, thoughts, comments. If you're listening, are welcome. Um, Javier, your uh, uh, your website or how people can contact you. Uh, easiest way is probably through LinkedIn. I'm relatively easy to find uh, on on Javier Tafoya and. 
Uh, the website is axiomwealthalliance.com, and mm-hmm. feel free. I welcome any questions, anything I can do to help. Just yeah. want to be a resource. Great. You know, all questions, thoughts, comments are welcome. For us, it's at info at truealignment.com. Visit the website. Uh, we've also got some uh, fun stuff coming up. We've got uh, true alignment certification programs uh, that uh, we have uh, scheduled for a week uh, at the end of October, October 30th. Yes. And another one out in January. I think it's the third week of January. Yeah, if you come to the October one, costumes are uh, encouraged on the second day. Ah, right. Halloween. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Come as who you really are. And with a movie reference. <laughs> with a movie reference in hand. <laughs> with a movie <laughs> reference in hand. All right. Well, that being said, thank you very much for, for listening in. And we look forward to you listening in again in the future on the uh, True Alignment podcast. Uh, I'm Edgar Papke. I'm Ken Sagendorf. Have a great day. And live aligned. Thank you.